0: Oh, good morning. Good morning, Christchurch. You know, I I never really supported the blues anyway. (laughs) I'm from the Horophenua. I don't know. I haven't even followed rugby the last few years, but it's good to be here. Thank you, Catherine, Gideon. Thank you for having me. And uh, I'm just, uh, you know, I know I've said this already, but I I just... uh, i'm just I'm sold out for the gospel I'm just so sold out for the gospel and i just uh I just want to see people healed do i just I just want to see people healed and dude, some people have more faith in the return of Jesus than they do in the power of the gospel I'm just sold out for the gospel i just just want to see people healed. It's just, it's just, I actually went walking this morning around the cathedral just looking for someone I could pray for. I mean, I was just walking wildly around in the streets until I got caught in the rain and there was no one out. It was only me. It's like, it's so quiet out there. It's like, oh my gosh, I just want to find someone that I can minister to and, and I just want to see them healed. You know, I have a, I have a dream and, uh. The dream is this is that I, I, I long to see the medical community and the church hold hands. Yeah. And I, I think for too long the, the, the church has dishonored the medical community, and the medical community thinks the church is flakes. What if we just hold hands and get them all healed? I'm so thankful for doctors, and I just want to honor, I, I'm sorry, I don't even know your name, I want to honor Dr. Dr. Debbie. <laughs> it's like, let, let's, just, let's just hold hands and get them healed. Amen. I wanted to. Uh, I wanted to just share a few thoughts this morning, and uh, tonight I'm gonna, I am gonna. It's kind of felt tonight. I wanted to do something a little different. I don't want to. I, I don't want to preach very long tonight. I just really Want to share a thought, and we're just gonna. We're gonna. We're gonna just pray and do some ministry, and. But I, I want you to turn with me, uh, this morning. We're gonna jump a little bit around this morning, but I want you to turn with me to one, one Kings chapter seventeen. If you got your Bibles, Have you got your Bibles. Ah, thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Gideon. I like to hear the ruffle of paper. You know, I'm not the electronic guy. Like, this is a, a real Bible, Bible you know. <laughs> I'm kidding. I do have an electronic one, but I, I, I do like, I do like the paper Bible. I mean, in in the computer Bible, you can't have you can't have one of these. You know, <laughs> a straw you can drink the word. <laughs> you can't underline. Well, you can, you can. But it's like, yeah. But I like, but I, you know, I know my Bible. I know where chapters are. I know the page numbers. I know, you know, it's like you know, I switched to an electronic Bible and I just can't find anything. You know, it's like, no, I know it's on the left-hand side of the page. <laughs> I, wanted to, I wanted to just share some thoughts with you this morning around uh, the boldness of prayer the boldness of prayer. I I believe with all of my heart, and I mentioned this yesterday, but I I believe with all my heart that it should be the normal expression of a believer's life to have answers to their prayers. The normal expression of a believer's life to have answers to their prayers. You know, obviously, specifically when we're ministering to the sick. And I want to talk to you about the, the boldness of prayer. And it says in... It says in uh, gosh I forgot the verse now Hebrews four I think it is 416 it says let us come boldly to the throne of grace in the time of need let us come boldly to the throne of grace where we obtain mercy in the time of need and it's an interesting it's an interesting passage because I, I firmly believe that if we don't understand who we are, which this conference has been about identity, if we don't understand who we are, we come to the throne of grace with an inferiority complex. And for too long, the church has had this mentality of, well, I'm I'm not worthy. And I'd like to suggest to you that if you don't think that you're worthy for the touch of heaven, you need healing. I, I minister to so many people, like tens of thousands a year, and it's a common thread. You know, I'm just, I'm not worthy. Not worthy. And we we think it's false humility, but it's actually we think it's humility, which is false humility, which is actually pride. Because it's the blood of Jesus that made us worthy. And we come to the throne of grace, and if we truly don't understand who we are, that we're actually the righteousness of Christ Jesus. Yeah. We're going to have an inferiority complex, but when we actually understand that we are the righteousness of Christ Jesus, he doesn't just see you as righteous, you are righteous, right? We've already touched on that. It's not just an, out, an outward thing, it's an inward thing. He sees us as righteous as he sees. The Father sees you as righteous as he sees Jesus. But when we truly begin to understand the, that we are the righteousness of Christ, You'll come to the throne of grace without any inferiority complex and be able to to pray bold prayers. I say it again. I believe it's the I, I believe that it's the the life of a believer that our prayers should be answered. And I think that we need to change things. I think we need to. I'm talking about bold prayers. I think we need to begin to make these these bold declarations. There's an interesting passage, and I haven't I haven't um, looked at this for. I, I mean, I know the passage. I'm always quoting it. I, I, most of the, I know so much of the Bible off by heart, you know. So often I can preach and I can share verses, but not necessarily have to read it, you know, because I just I, I know it. But I actually looked it up this morning, and I saw an interesting comment in my Bible here that I wrote on the side, and I'm like, wow, that's a really good comment. <laughs> But it's the, story of, it's the story of Elijah, and it's, it's an interesting story because in the story of uh, 1 Kings, we see that Elijah, he makes this decree, and the decree is that there'll be no rain upon this land until I say. There'll be no rain upon this land until I say. Now, we could, we could probably all agree that, <clears throat> that in an old covenant context, it would be like the judgment of the Lord. Right when they need rain and they don't get rain, it's like a judgment of the Lord. And so he makes he makes this decree. But yet in One Kings chapter eighteen, he wants rain. See the time difference between One Kings seventeen and One Kings eighteen, or the time difference between where he makes the decree of no rain to beginning to pray for rain is three and a half years. But when he wants rain, we could probably all agree that it's the blessing of the Lord. You know, when the rain comes on a drought ground, right? The the blessing of the Lord has arrived. But what I find so so interesting is that when he wants the rain to stop, I'm sorry, when he wants there to be no rain, he makes his decree, right? There'll be no rain. But when he wants the rain... He doesn't make a decree. He puts his head between his knees as if he's actually signifying and laboring in prayer. And we know, we know the story. He sends his servant out and he says, go and see if there's any rain coming. And the servant goes out and he comes back and says, I see nothing. And we know Elijah puts his head between his knees again, which is signifying that he's, he's laboring laboring in prayer. And he prays again and he sends the servant out again. And the servant comes back and says, there's no rain. And it repeats the process seven times. And on the seventh time, the servant comes back and says, I see the cloud the size of a man's hand. This is what, this is what kind of really struck me in this verse is that he makes, the, he makes this bold decree for the judgment of the Lord, but he labors hard for the blessing of the Lord. But we're in a new covenant where what if the blessing of the Lord was about making a powerful decree? This is the little note I put in my Bible here. I said he has more faith in the judgment than he does in the goodness of God. See, we're in a new covenant We're in a new covenant. What if in the new covenant that we actually made bold decrees and that we were known for our bold declarations? Because sometimes our miracle is just a bold declaration away. There's an interesting passage in the book of James, and it says this. It says, uh, I probably can't find it in a hurry right now, but it says, it says something like this. It says, Elijah was a man just like us who prayed fervently for the rain to stop and no rain fell for three and a half years. And he prayed again for the rain. Now, what's really interesting about that passage is says Elijah was a man just like us who prayed fervently. But if you, go study, if you go study that word uh, fervently or earnestly, some, some versions say earnestly. Earnestly means with sincere or intense conviction. And fervently means enthusiastically or passionately. So it says Elijah was a man, so now we'll paraphrase it. Elijah was a man just like us who prayed sincerely with earnest conviction, enthusiastically and passionately that no rain would come. But yet when we actually read the scripture, it doesn't seem like an enthusiastic, passionate prayer. He just makes a bold decree. But then it says, and he prayed again that it would rain. But it doesn't say, it doesn't say earnestly or fervently he prayed again. It just says he prayed again. See, perhaps God actually sees the earnest, uh, perhaps God sees the prayer of faith or the bold declaration as the earnest and fervent prayer. See, I, I wonder if as believers is that we are laboring hard and praying hard for the blessing of the Lord, but the Lord's actually saying, I'm looking for an earnest and fervent prayer. I'm looking for someone that will make a bold de- declaration that heaven has no choice but to show up. I, I think as as a, as a body is that... Uh, you know, I, I really don't mean to sound critical in this, and I would not say this if I was a New Zealander, right? And it's not just New Zealand. It's, it's all nations of the world. It's like we spend more time praying for revival than just having one. Yeah. Oh, Lord, you would rend the heavens and come down. I mentioned this yesterday. Oh, God, that you'd rend the heavens and come down. Well, Isaiah 64 says the heavens are already rend, and he's already come down. He's already done what he's going to do. I I don't think that it's without praying for revival, but I'm not going to pray for revival as if I don't have something because then I'm I'm actually acting like an orphan. I I decided many years ago that I will pray for for revival, but in the meantime, I'll just have one. (laughs) Right, because I, we... Our revival because it's actually where it starts. And if we don't actually believe that revival starts with us, like my Tyler, my man the man in my house the other day fixing up my situation that I have with I had to have my whole subfloor ripped out, just a scrap big mess in this brand new home. He turns to me and he says, The Lord told me to tell you. That if revival is not your responsibility, then whose is it? Now, I, I mean, I took that to heart as me, but it's not, it's not me, it's we. Yes. Yes. Because revival actually starts within each one of us. See, we go back to this scripture and coming boldly to the throne of grace in, in the time of need. If we don't understand that we're the actual righteousness of Christ, we're actually coming to that throne of grace dressed in self righteousness. And when we come dressed in self righteousness to the throne of grace, based on our works and our doings and our our fasting and what what we've done, we're actually covering ourselves in self righteousness. I'd like to propose to you that like it's it's like it's like it's dressed in self righteousness, but we're not dressed in self righteousness. We are the actual righteousness of Christ Jesus. I want you to flick with me to the book of Book of Mark, chapter chapter eleven. And it says this. And now the next day, when they came out from Bethany, uh, verse twelve. I'm sorry, chapter eleven, verse twelve. Now the next day, when they came out from Bethany, he was hungry, and seeing a, f- uh, a fig leaf having leaves, he went to it to see if he could perhaps find something on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And in response, Jesus said, "Let no one eat fruit from this." Let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And the disciples heard it. Now, I I, I study this verse a lot. I mean, it's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. See, my question is, is why did Jesus curse the fig tree? And I heard so many messages on why Jesus cursed the fig tree. And most of them seem noble. I just don't know that they feel right. I mean, it's like a good good idea, you know. I've heard that Jesus cursed the fig tree because he demands fruit in all seasons. You understand you're the righteousness of Christ. You will produce fruit in all seasons. You can't help but just produce all fruit in all seasons when you understand that you're the righteousness of Christ. I'm not trying to produce fruit. Fruit just happens. So I I would like to suggest to you that well, the, the question is why then did he curse the fig tree but when we jump when we look at Genesis chapter three and we're kind of jumping all over the place here you don't need to turn there I'll just I'll flick there for when we took when we turn to Genesis chapter three we, we know that Adam and Eve are in the garden and it says that we know that they the fall happens and they they steal the fruit and And it says that, and the eyes of them were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and they made for themselves coverings. See, Jesus curses the fig tree in Mark 11, but the first appearance of the fig leaf is actually in Genesis chapter 3. And I'd like to suggest to you that in Genesis chapter 3, they cover themselves with fig leaves because it's actually the image of self-righteousness. And it actually says here, they made for themselves coverings. Now, I love doing root word studies on a particular word and breaking that word down of what it actually means. How many of you know God's first language was in English? (laughs) Certainly not American. (laughs) But when we break the passage down and it says they, they made for themselves coverings, the word coverings means to cover the bare essentials. It's a partial covering. So therefore, perhaps Eve made for herself, she got some fig leaves and she made for herself a fakini. <laughs> and Adam made himself a little speedo. <laughs> Right? And, and they, they became aware of, they, they carried a sin consciousness. But I've got something to tell you is that no matter how much you try to cover yourself in, right, in self-righteousness, it's never enough because there is no forgiveness in, for sin in fruit salad. The, the only forgiveness that there is is in the powerful blood of Jesus. It's not by covering yourself in a fig leaf. But yet so many of us address ourselves in self-righteousness and we think it's about what we've done and we'll come to the throne of grace in the time of need with our fakinis on and our speedos on and we wonder why we're not seeing breakthrough because we're actually coming to the throne of grace dressed in self-righteousness. He doesn't want you coming to the throne of grace in self-righteousness. He wants you coming naked, dressed and covered by the power of the blood of Jesus. See, the verse goes on, and there's, there's something I don't understand in this verse where God comes in the garden and he says, Adam and Eve, where are you? I don't understand that at all, right? Because if you think you can hide from God, You know, so why does God ask them where they are? Because God knows exactly where you are, but they have a sin consciousness and they run from God because a sin consciousness will cause you to run from God and hide from God, but a true righteousness consciousness will cause you to run to God. I I don't run from God when I do something wrong, right? Because if you're running from God, when you do something wrong, you've got a, a wrong perception of the heart of the Father, When I do something wrong, the first place I do is I run to my father because I have a correct perception of the heart of the father because I'm unpunishable because of the blood of Jesus. There still may be discipline involved, but I am unpunishable because of his blood. So, so we see we see Adam and Eve, they're hiding from the Lord and they come back and they they kind of fess up and they say, well, we're here, you know, and Adam and, and then it goes on in verse 21 and it says, also Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and he clothed them. Now there's a difference here between the two words because when it's fig leaves, it's coverings, but under the tunic of skin, it's clothed, and if you do a root word study on the word clothed, it means a full and complete covering, right? So they have a partial covering with fig leaves, but they have a full and complete covering with the tunic of skin. Now I don't mean to, I don't need to be mean to be offensive, and where I'm going to go with this, but you know the tunic of skin doesn't come in a can. You know you don't buy it at the supermarket. It's believed to be a lamb. And I don't know how many farmers are here, but you know, I love lamb. I had lamb chops for lunch yesterday. I mean, that was so good. That's the best lamb chops I've had in New Zealand since I've been back. They're amazing. It's like, I I love lamb. I I had a pet one, his name is Johnny, I ate him. (laughs) And for my fiftieth birthday, I'm really sorry if I'm offending you, but for my fiftieth birthday, a friend in Arizona hand raised Sally for me. And I said, I want Sally killed on her night on the day that she's nine months and he killed her and put her in a UPS box and carried her to California and I barbecued her up on a on a <laughs> the whole thing. He froze it. He froze. He froze Sally, and he and he put it in a FedEx box, and he FedExed it to me. And it arrived a couple of days later. It was still frozen, and she was all kind of crunched up. I Had to put her in the bathtub to throw her out. <laughs> put her. To put her on by barbecue. See, but but when but when you kill a lamb, if there's any farmers here, you know that you don't shoot a lamb. You cut the lamb's throat. It's the most painless way for the lamb to die. Right, and it says here, like it says here, that God takes a tunic of skin. Or, where do you think the tunic came from? It came from a lamb. And you can have a bit of blood on the inside of the tunic, and He takes that. uh, This word's not a swear word in in the States, right? I know it is here, but probably context, right? He takes the bloody tunic, right? Because it had blood on the inside. Right, and he takes that tunic and he pulls it over Adam and Eve that they would have been covered in the blood of the lamb. See, righteousness is not just a covering. Righteousness is an infusion. Are you with me? You're not just covered on the blood of the lamb on the outside because righteousness is not, I'm just, he doesn't just see you as righteous. You are righteous through and through. See, I'm talking to you about the boldness of prayer. I'm, I'm wanting to install into you a, a, uh, to, or remove from you the inferiority complex that we can come and we can pray boldly, knowing that God and heaven wants to move on our behalf. I kind of just, I can't, I can't stand the wishy-washy prayers. You know, Lord, if it be your will. It's like, no, that's for people that don't understand his will. His name is his will. Yeah. I am Jehovah Rapha, the God that heals. Yeah. Oh, Lord, would you come and heal? If Jesus is my role model, then look at the life of Jesus. There's nowhere Jesus asked his father to come and heal. That's why I've called my ministry, Release the Healers. And people say, but you're not the healer. It's like, no, but I'm at union with the healer. That's right. It's pretty close. That's right. Because he lives in each one of us. Separation from God is an illusion for the life of the believer. We are one with him. Galatians 2 verse 20. The I became we. Let's go back to, thank you, Gideon. He said, "Good preaching, brother." I'm like, "I'll just preach to you then." I'm feeling you're just encouraging me. <laughs> let's go. Let's go back to to to, uh, to Mark chapter eleven. Uh, Mark chapter eleven, which is going to be my. Uh, we won't be leaving out of Mark chapter eleven now. And in response, Jesus said, "Let no one eat fr- fruit from this tree ever again." Was he cursing self righteousness? I think he was. I think he's cursing self-righteousness. And then he says this, "Um, and Jesus went into the temple and he began to drive out those who sold in the temple and he overturned the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. Now, I I just, I, I love words, right? I'm a word guy. I'm like, Why, you know, like, why does it say that but not that? I mean, like, I love to read between the lines, you know? If anybody else like that, I'm just like, I'm an inquisitive guy. I just ask so many questions, people get sick of me. I'm just like... (laughs) Because I've got to know how something works. I'm just asking questions. I was talking to Gideon the whole way here this morning. What about this? And what about that? And what do you think of this? So how does that work? I'm, not, I'm just asking him questions. It's just the, it's the way I'm wired. See, it says that, that he overturns the tables of the money changers in the seats of those who sold doves. So here's my question that I brought up with myself is that what was the purpose of the dove? The purpose of the dove was a sin offering, but there are other sin offerings in the temple, which are the bulls, the goats, the lambs and the doves. So why then does it only say the doves? Who bought the dove? The poor. So they'd come to the temple, they'd buy a before they get to the temple, they buy a dove in the marketplace, they bring the dove to the priest, the priest would examine that dove he would intentionally look for a blemish because if he found a blemish, they then need to come into the temple to buy a dove in the temple rather than the marketplace because the dove in the temple was way more expensive than the dove in the marketplace. But if they bought it in the temple rather than marketplace, then the priest got a little backhand. Maybe what Jesus is actually saying is, I detest the poor being ripped off. But before that, it says this. And he overturns the tables of the money changers. This is the inquisitive guy I am. I'm like, why do why he overturned the tables. I went to Google. How many of you know not everything on the internet's true? <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> I Google search. Go Google search it yourself. Not right now. Go Google search it yourself. Why did Jesus overturn the tables and the money, of the money changers? And you know what I discovered? It's because Jesus didn't want coffee sold in church. It's on the internet. It also said, I tell you, if Jesus is there right now, he'd be up here with a long black. <laughs> it also said that Jesus didn't want books sold in church. And I found all these churches that got rid of their coffee stores and their bookstores because Jesus said, I'm like, oh my gosh, you hardly need a revelation, uh, revelatory mindset to work that out. I mean, that's just kind of like, Excuse it, excuse my French, but that's like the spirit is stupid. <laughs> and it's like there has to be something deeper than that, like coffee and bookstores. Why did Jesus overturn the tables and the money changers? The question is, what were they purchasing? They were purchasing righteousness. And Jesus walks in there and he says, now I'm paraphrasing, right? He walks in there and he says, Hey, where's my long black? (laughs) He walks in there and he says, Guys, there's a turning of the tables, there's a turning of the covenants that's coming, and there's some blood that's about to be shed that not one of you can afford to buy. I'm sure he's heartbroken. He's like, you're trying to purchase self-righteousness, but there's a turning of the covenants that's about to come because there's some blood that's about to be shed that no matter how rich you are, you cannot buy it because it's a free gift. And turns those tables over. He says, and he would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple, right? And he says, this is is called a house of prayer for all nations, but you've made it a den of thieves. Let's jump to verse 20. And in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, remembering, said, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. And Jesus said to him, have faith in God. Now, that's just another whole message right there, right? Have faith in God. If we're in Christ, I touched on it yesterday, I think. If we're in Christ, we don't have faith in Christ. We have the faith of Christ. I think that we've done a little discredit to the body by telling people, well, if you had had faith, you would have been healed. Faith's not introspective. Your position's in him. You have the faith of him. I I don't know about you, I've never gone in and never gone and had a look, come out feeling like, whoa! Every time I go and have a look, I tend to come out feeling like, hmm. My Bible says, look unto Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. But our was never in the original manuscript. It actually should say, looking unto Jesus, the author and the perfecter of faith. Changes the context completely. And then it says, and Jesus answered and said, have faith in God. Okay, we'll change that. Have faith of God. And then my favorite verse, I just love this one. I say my favorite verse about every verse because they're all my favorites. It's like my daughters, I tell them, each, each one of them, you're my favorite, but don't tell the other one. <laughs> See how long that works. It lasts about two minutes and they go to each other. And it's like, dad said I'm his, I'm, I'm his favorite. <laughs> and he's like, oh, he just told me that too. <laughs> verse 23. For surely I say unto you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done. He'll have whatever he says. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I mean, I've been around church for a while, right? I've been around church for fifty-two years, and heard a lot of messages. And I, I, this is probably the verse I've heard taught the most over the years. But let let me propose something to you. Have we turned? Answers into prayer. Have we turned answers to prayer into principles rather than operating from the presence? I I I tell you, I've done so much study on this verse. For surely I say unto you, whoever says to this mountain, "Now," let me ask you a question: How many of you got mountains in your life? Three of you. Come on, don't lie. See, what, what are the mountains in our lives? Sickness. Finance. Health. Don't say your husband or your wife. <laughs> <laughs> Relationships. You know, we've all, got, we've all got mountains in our life that, that we want to see move. I, I can't help but wonder... Whether we've failed in many instances to see the power of God move because we've taken the passage out of context and we say, well, I've got a mountain in my life. You know, I've got a two-bedroom home and I'm just believing for a 19-bedroom home. And I'm just going to declare this, however, my house for surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, I got a mountain, I need a bigger house, I need a bigger motorcycle, I need a bigger car, and I just speak, I, I just speak Mark 11, verse 23, over my motorcycle, and I just command you in the name of Jesus to turn into a Harley Davidson. <laughs> I just command my little house to turn into a mansion. I, you know, but yet, yeah, but when we actually look at what the passage. Actually, says, please don't get me wrong, I believe in speaking to our mountains without question. The prophet Zechariah says, with shouts of grace, grace, the mountains shall be removed. It doesn't say, with shouts of principle, principle, the mountains shall be removed. Have we taught this passage out of principle rather than out of presence? Perhaps we've done the church an injustice. Because what it actually says, bear with me, for surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, this, I didn't do too well in English school, (laughs) but I did learn this, this is singular. It's not plural. I had to look up the dictionary to see what plural meant. but (laughs) This is singular. It's not plural. So is he talking about your mountains? Is he talking in this passage about the mountain of sickness, the mountain of debt, relationships? Yes, I believe in speaking to our mountains. I'm just not so sure that this is the passage for it. It says this mountain. So therefore, if this mountain is singular and it's not plural, he's talking about one mountain, and he doesn't say your mountain. He doesn't say whoever speaks to your mountains. He said whoever speaks to this mountain. So therefore, I wonder what this mountain could be. See, if we take the whole of this chapter in, in Mark chapter 11, The whole passage is on self-righteousness. The entire passage, the whole thing is on self-righteousness. So maybe what Jesus is actually saying is, I'm going to paraphrase him again. Maybe what Jesus is actually saying is, church, do you want to operate in the abundance of faith? Do you want to see extraordinary miracles in your family? Do you want to see extraordinary miracles in your your church? Do you want to see extraordinary miracles in Christ's church? Do you want to see extraordinary miracles spread across this nation? Then it starts by you speaking to your mountain. What's the mountain? Self-righteousness. Perhaps the abundance of faith is going to come out of putting the blood of Jesus back in the church and start cursing self-righteousness because the mountain he's talking about is Mount Zion and on Mount Zion was the temple and in the temple they were purchasing self-righteousness. Perhaps what he's actually saying is that. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> come out. <coughs> I told you last night. I've been <coughs> preaching 500 times a year for the last 14 years, and then I don't preach for four months, and my voice is gone. It's like I'm just not not. I've had four months off, and now it's like. <coughs> I think that Jesus is saying, because I want to see answers. Yeah. I want to see answers to my prayers. Excuse me. But I've discovered that I'm not empowered by principles, but I can put on a healing conference, and everybody comes because they want a trick and they want a tip. Just teach us another principle of how to see the sick healed. I don't do principles. I do presence. I do presence and I do identity of teaching you who you are. Because if we can come back to the place of understanding who we are, that we are not covered in the blood of Jesus, we're infused with the blood of Jesus, you'll come boldly to the throne of grace in the time of need without any inferiority complex. You will not have your bikini on. You will not have your um, speedo on, but you're going to come boldly boldly to the throne of grace, knowing that you're worthy, knowing that Jesus paid for it and we're gonna be operating out of presence knowing that heaven wants to back you up. (laughs) Churches, it's time that we see the greatest revival that this nation's ever seen. I, I'm just expressing my heart here and I'm, I'm so passionate about this, but I did not come back to New Zealand to put a tick in the box to say I went to church on Sunday. I can't do church anymore. Does that mean I'm not going to come to church? Of course, it doesn't mean that. Do you have a, do you, do you have a tissue? Otherwise, I might need to use my mask. It's time for revival. There is more. There is so much more and I'm believing that we're going to see the greatest healing movement that this nation has ever seen. That we're going to see the most extraordinary signs and wonders that this nation's ever seen. I've spent 16, 16, 14 years traveling the world to 63 countries seeing the most unusual things. Crazy miracles. I've come back here because the Lord told me to come back here because it's New Zealand's time, I want us to stand. I, 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 said, I said this last night and I feel it strongly to say it again, but God didn't send sickness to teach you a lesson. He sent Jesus Christ to teach sickness a lesson. Somebody has, to, somebody has to begin to rise up to that and say enough is enough. Sickness in my house stops here. Sickness in my city stops here. Sickness in my country stops here. Unrighteousness in my country stops here. We are going after Jesus. Are you allowed to hold hands in church because of the COVID thing? I don't know what the rules are. That's a genuine question. Why don't we stand and hold hands? The last thing I want to do is break a rule. I mean, I I just don't know what the rules are. (laughs) I, I, I want us to, I, we're going to just do two things. I want us to pray as a church. I, I, I want you to pray. I want to make sure everybody's holding somebody's hand across this auditorium, whether you stand or you can't stand in your are sitting. I want you to take a hand. And I, I want us to begin to pray. I just want to spend just 90 seconds even, just 90 seconds and beginning to make some bold prayers over the city. This is Christ Church. This is God's zone. I want you to begin to lift your voice, and I want you to begin to pray something scary over this nation. I want you to begin to pray that this would be the day that we're gonna begin to see extraordinary miracles and extraordinary conversions that we're gonna see breakthrough. I want you to begin to pray that there'd be a spurt, a breakthrough that will come upon this nation. Come on, lift your voice. Pray something bold. Just pray for the person on your left and right. Pray for them like you'd want them to pray for you. Pray something scary over them, that God's gonna use them in an extraordinary, extraordinary way. Come on, lift your voice. Lift your voice, be bold. You're at the throne of grace in the time of need. You don't have a bikini on. You're covered and you are you are infused with the blood of Jesus.